Welcome to episode 276 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Jennifer, Stephanie, Edith, Debbie, and Michelle. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Jennifer, Stephanie, Edith, Debbie, and Michelle, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. And of course, everybody else can listen too. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we'd like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you'll find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. Joining me today is Eric. Welcome, Eric. Good morning, Spencer. Greetings from chilly, rainy Connecticut. You have rain. Yesterday, we got something like eight inches of snow, and this morning, it's three degrees out. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Winter is here. Boom. I shouldn't complain. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. You know, I actually prefer snow to rain this time of year, but... Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, so you wanted to open with a reading that kind of prompted you to suggest this topic. Yes, and it is uh, from Courage to Change, October 29th. I recently had an argument with someone I care about. He had made all too publicly a few remarks to me about my weight, and I was less than pleased. Later, when I told him that my feelings were hurt, he insisted he had done nothing wrong, and what he said was true, so I shouldn't take offense. How often have I justified my own unkindness or my interfering where I had no business? with that very argument. Too many times, especially during my alcoholic loved one's drinking days. After all, I claimed, I was right. Alcohol was ruining our lives, and it was my duty to say so again and again and again. I'm learning to let go of my certainty about what other people should do. In Al-Anon, I heard someone put it this way, quote, I can be right, or I can be happy. I don't have to make anyone over in my image. With help, I can live and let live. Today's reminder... I'm not an insensitive person, but at times I have justified insensitive behavior by claiming to be right. I can respect another's right to make his or her own choices, even when I strongly disagree. My relationship will improve if I can love myself enough to let other people be themselves. And the quote from Peter Marshall, Lord, when we are wrong, make us willing to change. And when we are right, make us easy to live with. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Isn't that great? When we are right, make us easy to live with. Yeah, that's the one that, you know, got me thinking. This is maybe a really good idea for a topic because I'm sure many, many, many of us know, you know, the disease wants to fight. And before I knew better, you know, I'd step in the ring. You know, yeah. uh, strap strap on the gloves and go. You know, I'm I'm going to take on this octopus. Early on, I used to use that analogy. This is disease. It's like boxing with an octopus. It's, mm. it's just impossible. It's just a losing battle. The best way is to just not get in the ring. That's what kind of prompted this uh, idea. Yeah, I was one of those people. I still fight this tendency, where if Somebody, particularly somebody close to me, somebody I care about, says something that I know is not correct, according to my understanding, right? I want to correct it. I, it, it needs to be right. And that just got me in so much trouble so many times because, you know, my wife, for example, didn't appreciate me interrupting her to tell her that it was Thursday, not Wednesday, when it absolutely didn't matter to the point of the story she was telling, right? This one took me a while. I don't remember exactly when I heard it, but I remember the the slogan, and um, maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but the slogan, how important is it? Yeah, that's the one. That was the one that I really had to pick up. How important is it for me to be right? How important is it for us to get the exact understanding, the details that don't matter to the actual situation, you know? No, it wasn't 33 cents. It was 34 cents. (laughs) I would say shit like that, okay? Yeah. Yeah, and the world would explode over a penny. Yeah. 
You know, and the way my arguments, which by the way, you know, this one's this topic you can't actually find looking up the words right and happy in the index. You have to actually dig a little deeper and look at conflict, argument. You know, those are the places and they're in the concepts. They're all over when you're talking about this disease because this disease is one of uh, fight. You know, I mean, it's fertilizer for the disease to uh, create a conflict, create an argument, create a dispute and escalate it to the point where everybody's crazy. I really believed I could fight fire with a blowtorch. And, <laughs> you know, it's just made me crazier than the alcoholic. This one maybe is a good place to insert from In All Our Affairs, sure. making crises work for you. So In All Our Affairs, that's a pamphlet, right? No, it's a full book. Oh, wow. Yeah, the green, green swirly book. I don't have that one, okay? Uh -huh. it, 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 um, okay, so actually, can you give me a page reference? It is page 96 under Part 2, Acceptance. So this one says, Removing Myself from Battles. No matter what, no one has the right to physically abuse anyone. I had to separate my own behavior from the abuser's behavior before I could realize that the abuse was his problem, not mine. I did this by removing myself from the battles, sometimes just emotionally. Arguments are useless against sickness. And in this case, abuse is a symptom of the disease of alcoholism. Hmm. Talking to a person who's in a rage is a waste of time. I'm better off talking to my Elan sponsor instead. I'm taking the unnecessary risk of being hurt when I meet anger with anger. That was me. He who's loudest last wins. It doesn't work. <laughs> he who is loudest last wins. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't work. Doesn't work. Doesn't right. work. Right. Yeah. Uh -huh. Did you come from this place of there's right and there's wrong like I did? Like, I mean, there's, there, or there's correct and incorrect. I don't want to put like value judgments with words right and wrong. This sort of black and white thinking, like it, it's either correct or it's not correct. It's either right or it's not right. Meaning childhood and early adulthood, that? Sure. No, I mean, I, I didn't have issues with what, what was, you know, I didn't have that stubborn black and white thinking that I think goes part and parcel to dealing with this disease. It, it kind of crept up on me, you know, after just being brutally attacked verbally and emotionally for so long. Before program, my natural instinct was defend myself. Mm -hmm. it, it's not 44 cents. Count it. It's 43 <laughs> cents. I mean, you got it right in your hand. Just let me, let me show you here. I'll count it. There's a quarter. There's a dime. There's a dime. You know, yeah. why? It's just un totally unnecessary, and it just creates a problem where there doesn't need to be one. Again, how important is it that it's not Wednesday? You know, yep, yep. I, you know, I, it still tweaks me a little, you know, that somebody's yep. just clearly so wrong and yep. they, they, they must be corrected, you know, but it, in the scheme of things and this huge rainbow of life, really, what's the difference between, you know, chartreuse and purple? Does mm -hmm. it matter? You know, <laughs> <laughs> yep. have you heard the expression, if you spot it, you got it? Yeah, I mean, and I've similarly, you know, if if you if the medicine works, you probably have the disease. Right. right. Yeah. So, <laughs> I have a friend who does this thing with his wife all the time, and now that I'm so aware of this in myself, it bugs the heck out of me. But I don't need to say anything about it <laughs> because they've been doing this for thirty years or something, right? And they're not going to change. And apparently. She's learned to live with it, you know? So me jumping in there would, would and this is another way of, of right or happy. I mean, sort of, you know, I could jump in and say, you know, that's really obnoxious when you do that. What's that going to do? Okay. It's probably not going to change my friend. It's probably just going to like screw up our friendship. He's going to say, what are you, you know, trying to tell me how to, how to talk to my wife or whatever, you know, how to, how to, how to be. No, I don't have to do it. How important is it? It's not important. Okay, yeah, it bugs me. It bugs me because I used to do it, and I try not to do it now. And so when I see somebody else doing it, I'm like, nah, you know, like chalk, finger, fingernails on a chalkboard or something. But I don't have to jump in. I want to think about a little bit about what does the word happy here mean. And, and I was inspired, actually, to that thought. You sent a link to a Psychology Today column or article yeah. titled Right Versus Happy apparently under the topic of emotional sobriety, which is a big one too. And in fact, 
Uh, I was just listening to an episode of Recovered Podcast where they talked about emotional sobriety. So it was kind of on my mind. She says in this column here, let's take a moment to define happy in this context. I'm not talking about winning the lottery happy or people doing what you want them to do happy. Those are external things that we can't control. I'm talking about acceptance happy, where we aren't in opposition to our own lives. I'm talking about contentment happy. I know it's not as flashy as winning the lottery, but trust me, it's much more attainable and sustainable. I hadn't ever thought about acceptance happy, meaning I'm not in opposition to my own life. But it makes a whole lot of sense. And she's right. You know, it's not It's not like if I win the argument, I'm not going to be like, yay, I won the argument. I got a million dollars. You know, I'm going to be like, yeah, okay, my, my side won. That's cool. You know, or if I choose not to argue. And I think that's that's where we're talking about here, like choose not to argue because it's not important. Then I don't get all worked up. I keep some serenity and I have that contentment or that that acceptance of, you know, not being in this place of opposition, right? Does that make sense? Well, yeah. I mean, this whole article, it's only two pages, but man, I couldn't believe I found it. It's hard not to read the whole thing. I just, yeah, I know. <laughs> You know, her beginning, it says, right versus happy. Why would I choose to be happy when I could be right? I mean, she said, how many times have you yeah. heard the question, would you rather be right or happy? It's always made me a little nuts because, quite frankly, most times I say, right, please. <laughs> you know, I've recently started to have a change of heart in this manner, so I hope you'll oblige me in exploring the idea of choosing happiness. You know, and, and I'm yeah. sure you've heard that little quip. I don't think it's a, 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 a slogan, but, you know, happiness is a choice. And that's what she's referring to. She says, isn't that funny? I actually have to try to choose happiness. But alas, I used to believe that right was an irrefutable fact, thereby making everyone and everything else wrong. It seemed to me that happy went hand in hand with ignorance is bliss. And I was not able to wear the dunce cap. <laughs> so with my talons firmly embedded in whatever position or idea I was holding on, I stood my ground. Yeah, that is I mean, that is that is beautiful oh, writing. I just, wow, like, she is just poetic here. Oh yeah, well, and like I can so I can connect with it, right? Oh, talons gosh. firmly embedded in my position. In oh yeah, forty three cents. Okay. <laughs> yep. Count uh, it. You know, right is an irrefutable fact, and and that's. <laughs> That's where I come to this. And then she talks a little bit later about black and white and shades of gray. And I thought, well, why why stick with gray? I mean, you know, how about some colors here? Because, you know, blue is no more right or wrong than yellow. Yeah. I mean, maybe if you're talking about the sky, but all right. You know, the sky could be blue or pink or purple or orange and maybe even sometimes yellow. Red, certainly. You know, and all of those are right depending on – the context, depending on your point of view, your your ex life experience, there are very few things, maybe 43 cents, okay, that are irrefutable facts. And and of those things that are irrefutable facts, how many of them are actually that important that I will destroy my happiness and serenity, my contentment in order to be right about it? You know, you made a really good observation when you were talking about as you got into the disease and how you started holding on to those little things that you knew were right. And I was thinking about that the other day, and I don't remember what the context was, but as I started to lose control in the disease, you know, I started to lose control of the big stuff. It became really important to me to be able to control the little stuff. To win. And, you know, one of the biggest takeaways, this subject, I guess, has been brewing around my head for many, many years because – the, the the thing I heard at a meeting I mentioned in a, another episode, I don't know which one it was, was, uh, yeah, I was sitting next to my sponsor at a large group meeting, 60 people, and one of the last, it was a pitch meeting because there's so many people, three-minute shares. One of the last things somebody said, I don't remember the topic, was, you know what, I don't have to win anything today. My sponsor looked over at me and said, man. That was worth the price of admission. That, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that stuck with me forever. I don't have to win anything today. You know, I can let it go. I can step aside. I can, I don't have to take the bait, jump on the crazy train, insist that it's not just blue. 
It's robin's egg blue, navy blue, baby blue, sky blue. Okay, be specific. Uh-huh. You're wrong. It's not blue. <laughs> it's robin's egg. You know, whatever. I mean, that's how ridiculous it got. You know, and the other slogan that jumps off the page now at me, is it worth my serenity? Mm. You know, uh, I see that one at some meetings, but, you know, the answer for me now is always no, it is not. Mm-hmm. You know, use a tool, pull out my, you know, toolkit and pick uh, detachment with love, you know, set a boundary, say no to not have my serenity that I've worked so hard. That is, this is my pot of gold. Uh, the end of my rainbow is my serenity and peace of mind, my happiness. I choose to be happy. Yeah. You know, I don't think that's like an official Al-Anon slogan from the book, but it's definitely, it's it's a great one to, to carry, you know, one of those, what do you call it, pocket change? Yeah. Yeah. To carry carry around with you and, and pull it out when you need it. Is this, is is really pushing on this worth my serenity? Well, no, it's not. Nothing's worth my serenity. I've worked too hard. It's 10 years of trying to find some peace of mind. I finally have it. And you know what? I put that as, as an alcoholic puts his sobriety above everything. I put my serenity above everything. Mm-hmm. It is not worth my serenity. I will walk away. Okay. We'll revisit this later when we're both in a better place. Right. Yeah. Are you willing to go to any length? You know, I, I have gone to any length to get back my peace of mind, my serenity, you know, my serenity, my sanity, my peace of mind, the ability to think clearly, my awareness. I'm not willing to give that up for anybody or anything. That is really too precious. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I will not let someone else's behavior rob me of what I've worked so hard for. Yep. You found a reading, I think, from, yeah, from how Al-Anon works. Uh, which you said is page 98 in the soft cover. It's titled Dealing with Conflict. Oh, yeah, it's a great one. And I think because we've been saying, oh, you know, don't don't get into the argument. This one kind of unpacks that and, and, and puts some, some shades of gray, if you will, on it. Does this mean we never engage in arguments? Of course not. Conflict is part of every relationship. In fact, the more we recover, the more likely we may be to encounter conflict. We are bound to have increasingly strong opinions and to stand up for them because we believe in ourselves. Arguments can be constructive experiences that help to clear the air, or they can be brutal attacks that undermine the connection between two people. The choice is ours to make. We can argue in order to win, to exert power, to prove the other person wrong, and to mete out punishment for any slight we may have perceived, or we can argue for the purpose of making peace. And I think that's really important to understand as I move into this space of I'm not going to argue about everything, I think there's two things going on here. One is, and the less important, I think, thing here is, you know, what's the argument about? Is it about something that actually matters? The more important thing they're trying to say here, I think, is what's the purpose of the argument itself? Okay, if the purpose of the argument itself is to come to some meeting rather than to push apart, then I think, you know, it's something that we want to go forward with, or, you know, if it's really important. We can accept our differences. We can even accept that not all conflicts can or should be resolved. Oh, man, that is hard. Yeah, for us control freaks, (laughs) as we're called. You know, the other thing that I wrote here, I mean, this, you know, I think why this is such a difficult one is that, for so many years, I was a doormat to this disease, you know? Right. I mean, I had tread marks up and down my back and face, and I mean, I just felt like so abused by the disease that, you know, I'm going to argue until death that it's 43 cents, okay? I'm not going to let it go. And it's just the choice is ours to make. says it right here. We can argue in order to win, to exert power, or prove someone wrong, or mete out punishment. You know, you just read it. Keep every just to the end of this is so good. As we learn to exchange and build upon ideas, we develop the ability to work together towards common goals, interact with others in a more intimate and more meaningful way. We can treat one another with respect, especially when we disagree. Yeah. You know, there's a reading somewhere, I didn't find it, but it says, you know, we can actually argue more effectively. And I do this with my daughters. You know, I, if I disagree with something, the biggest difference is now. My tone of voice doesn't change. 
It's a huge difference. Chapter 13, how Al-Anon works, how we say what we say, mm-hmm. body language, tone of voice, facial gestures. I can say, you know, I, I disagree with that, but, uh, you know, you see it differently than I do. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How novel. <laughs> you know, yeah. instead of trying to slam it home with a, a Louisville slugger, I can just say, yeah, yeah, I don't see it that way. Goodbye. <laughs> I also think about work in this context because this is a place where I I have frequent conflicts over relatively small but sometimes important things. More about like how are we going to do something or which should we do first or should we do something at all rather than, you know, was it 43 cents? When I was in grad school, I had a, a colleague, a very close friend, that we would get into these sort of shouting arguments because that was just the way we were, okay? That we we were able to have this, this you know, as a friend, a, a mutual friend of ours put it, we would be in violent agreement with each other, arguing oh, over good. something, okay? Yeah. And it was just something we did. But what I didn't understand, I think, at that, you know, tender age of 20-something, was that not everybody is able to engage in that kind of interaction. You know, I happen to find myself with some people who were happy and willing and understanding of that sort of, let's really hash this thing out loudly and violently, not, you know, no fisticuffs, but, um, you know, and no, no calling each other names or anything. You know, it's none of this. I'm reminded of the line from the Saturday Night Live skit, Jane, you stupid slut. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Yeah. Exactly, Jane, you ignorant slut. You're right. You're right. <laughs> yes. God. It's been a long time. Point, counterpoint. And they're supposed to be having like this reasoned, <laughs> yeah. reasoned discussion, right? And it degenerates into name calling. Yeah. That's a great example. You know, we didn't do that, but but we did. We were having a reasoned discussion. We were just having a reasoned discussion at the top of our voices and very emotionally. Not everybody can do that. And I didn't understand it. And so when I tried to engage with, say, my wife, in that same fashion, she reacted totally differently. She got really mad back, emotionally mad back, rather than just, you know, sort of, I don't know, playing at it or whatever it was that, that me and my friend were doing. So a little bit of a tangent there, but I think, you know, the ways that we learn to interact, the ways that work for us to interact, I have to understand that they don't work the same with, with all people. And now I'm working with people that sometimes I kind of get into that mode, not as loud, but I do get into that mode of, of just getting excited and sort of forceful about saying something. And, and some of the people that I work with don't respond well to that. Many of the people that I work with don't respond well to that. And, and I'm having to relearn that it's much better to, to not get worked up, right? To take that pause, take that pause. As, as my guest last week said, you know, God is in the pause. Let my higher power in for a minute so that I can proceed with the discussion in in a more calm and reasoned way where we'll actually probably come to a conclusion that that maybe we both can accept, right? Anyway, big tangent. I know you you, uh, had some examples that you mentioned in your email. I don't know if you want to throw some in at this point. Yeah. Got it. I mean, I really, the more I'm thinking about this, the more I can probably find examples every couple of hours during the day. <laughs> sure. But the one that jumped up, you know, as relevant here was last couple of weeks ago, just before Christmas, I took my two daughters, 21 and 16, up to Vermont to go skiing. Mm-hmm. Everything was going along swimmingly. We actually got in a great afternoon of skiing on a Friday and we're headed back to our bed and breakfast. And my 21-year-old just started raging at my 16-year-old who was in the back seat. And I couldn't, and my younger couldn't figure out really what the heck it was about. But she just got really angry, very distraught. And my younger is in the back kind of sobbing now. I mean, Mm. it was just awful. I put an end to it as kindly as I could, but I said, you know, this is not the right place for this, and maybe take a look at your behavior, because this is escalating things. And it's unnecessary. Well, that at least, you know, puts some halon on the grease fire for a little bit, but mm-hmm. not, not for very long. Cause I, I, I had to 
dig deeper into my toolkit when I had some pause to think. And I no longer, I used to say, you know, when I travel or go somewhere that I'm going into that I know might be stressful, like a party or a bar or something with people that are drinking or people that are difficult, let's put it that way, can be difficult. You know, I used to call it bringing Home Depot. You know, my toolkit is Home Depot. Mm. Bring Home Depot with me. And I've actually changed it. I don't know if you've got them out there in the Midwest, but True Value is yep. the hardware store I now bring. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. my, t- my toolkit is filled up with True Value items. Yep. So when we got back to the bed and breakfast, I, I said, look, Go to neutral corners, okay. Fortunately, we had two rooms. <laughs> so I, uh, I said, I'm going to run down and get us some bottled water and a couple of snacks. Just can you please just go to, you know, young one, the thing two, go into my bedroom. Thing one, go into your bedroom, <laughs> okay. And thing three now is the dog. The dog was happy, whether it doesn't matter. You know, I yep, want my yep. dog's life, basically. Clearly, I was, there was dysfunction and they were still angry with each other. And my younger didn't even know what. Why? I mean, does this sound familiar? Dealing with an addict or an alcoholic? I don't even know how this started, nor what it's about. Yep. But I'm just going to stay angry, pissed off, and, and miserable. So I left, and within five minutes, I get a call from my 16-year-old crying, I'm leaving. I said, well, what do you mean you're leaving? Yeah, I'm leaving. I'm walking out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a train, take a, a bus, or f- fly home, or take an Uber. I said, um, you realize we live in Connecticut, right? <laughs> yeah. Know? She was just distraught. So I said, just, just breathe. Okay. Uh-huh. And I came back and, and they had gone at it. And this is a four bedroom, you know, beautiful old home. And, and the guests are someone called and really distraught and complained because they're banging on a door and using explicatives. And oh, my younger wanted to go in and get her, you know, toiletries out to take a shower in my bedroom and my older locked the door so just ridiculous dysfunction so anyway the long short is that after you know putting more space between them detaching from each other i let my daughter breathe through it for a bit explained that an uber wasn't really possible yeah uh and there were no trains or planes or buses anywhere nearby so i I basically used the pause button to try to demonstrate to her you know let's just take a break on this you know uh, calm down this too shall pass i even said i think mm-hmm. and then after a while i thought so what if any tool might there be here to use to kind of put this train back on the rails i talked to my 16 year old i said you know sometimes when we don't know what we did wrong but the result is that it, you know, an argument and a lot of anger. Perhaps on, I've, and I basically used the I statements. What I have done in the past is just said, you know, for my part in what happened, I apologize. Can we please just move past this? She didn't want to do it. She said, I did nothing wrong. You know, what did I do wrong? I didn't do anything wrong. I said, but it doesn't matter. And it's not that you're apologizing. It's not weakness on your part. It's actually strength on your part. It's empowering to say, you know, for my part and what happened, I apologize. Can we please move forward? She mustered it up and went and did it. Mm-hmm. And because my older was saying, I'm not talking to her until she apologizes. You know, I said, for what? And this leads to my second example. And I was talking to my older in her bedroom mm-hmm. across the hall from each other. Right. And she was just rage, still raging. I said, you know, I can't win. And she texted me about a half an hour later. And she said, why does anyone have to win, Dad? She said that. Oh, my God, yeah. She just slapped me right back into program. Hello. And I said, you know, and I had to make a 10th step with her. I said, you know, that was wrong of me. I just said, you know, it's not possible to talk about right now. That's what I meant to say. I didn't mean to say I needed to win. And she was right. And so, anyway, the, the end result, after my younger made her amends for something that she clearly thought she didn't do wrong, because she wasn't wrong, she was right. She, I said, you know, for my part, I apologize. Yeah. They didn't let it go. They slept on it. Nobody took an Uber home. Nobody got on a bus. The next morning, I wake up. The two of them are out with the dog, walking around the property, taking pictures. I see them running and laughing. And it's over. It's over. Simple. Yeah. Yeah. It could have, it could have, you know, exploded even further. I had to make my amends to the, you know, innkeeper 
which I did. Oh, oh, it got that loud. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Woo. Oh, I, when I came back in from the little market, the guys, the guys said to me, "This is not Motel Six. I'm sorry, you can't. With this, can't happen here. People are paying a lot of money for peace and quiet. They come to a bed and breakfast. Okay, this is not you know the Hyatt Convention Center." Yeah, I had to make my amends, and I asked both girls to make amends to the to the other guests, and they did. That's good. Yeah, it all worked. Yeah, it worked. It worked, and we had a wonderful rest of our trip. How about that? Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and and exactly applying this this concept, maybe not in exactly those words, but right. I, I like the you know where your daughter said, "Why does somebody have to win?" Oh, yeah. <laughs> Brought me right back to I don't have to win anything today, and it just it came out. Some of, I was getting agitated by her behavior, and I let her take away my peace of mind for a minute. I said something that wasn't right, so I had to make an amends for it, and mm-hmm. she accepted it. Mm-hmm. And then what's interesting, even further, about two days later, something else happened. I don't even remember the circumstances, and my twenty-one-year-old said to me back by text, "For my part in what happened, I apologize." Mm. She did it back to me. <laughs> what my younger did to her, she did back to me. You know what? Everybody learned. It was the, you know, God gives us things that help us learn if we choose to use them as such, to choose to look at a disagreement, something that's uncomfortable as a learning opportunity. They're all around us. Every time there's a conflict, there's something to be learned from it. If I choose to look at it that way. No kidding. Anyway, no kidding. Yeah. So you, sent me this question, can you live and let live, which is a slogan, live and let live, right? Can you live and let live even if you are, quotes, right? You know, that's a good one, right? Because, again, I think I came in with this idea that if I gave her an inch, then, like, I lost, right? The idea of of live and let live, and and I'm going to go back to the reading that you opened with because it has this great the paragraph here, I am learning to let go of my certainty about what other people should do in Elanon. I heard someone put it this way. I can be right or I can be happy. I don't have to make anyone over in my image with help. I can live and let live with help. <laughs> and yeah. and the help that I found was the experience of other people in the program. You know, the, those kinds of stories like you were telling or that, you know, that, that I've been talking about where if I don't hold on to this I've got to be right thing. I actually feel better when I let go of that need to be right than I would have felt if I had insisted on it, right? Kind of what it's about, huh? Yeah. I want to feel better. It's really not worth it. How important is it? Really, that is the one that I think that, that sums this whole episode up is that slogan, how important is it to win the argument? I used to think it was the only thing that was important, you know, because I had been trampled down so much, like I said. And I've learned that urgent things are seldom important, and important things are seldom urgent. I'm not calling 911 for a paper cut, okay? Mm -hmm. Sorry. You know, even though you want me to and you think that the sky is falling, this too shall pass. Let's uh, circle back on this tomorrow. You know, that's empowering to be able to use words like that when you're mm-hmm. confronted with someone that wants to argue, wants to fight, wants to escalate rage and anger. That's just fertilizer, again, for this disease of conflict. And I'm no longer going to be the gardener spreading that mulch, okay? I'm walking away, okay? And I can choose to detach with some kind of love or at least with empathy, but I don't have to take the bait and pick up the rope, you know? Yep, yep. You were talking about some tools, some sayings like Q-tip, quit taking it personally, and don't take the bait, don't pick up the rope, don't be a willing participant in a toxic dance. I'm like, wow, that's almost like song lyrics. Hey, I like that. You also referenced some other episodes we'd done together, and I think the one that is really close here is Perspective, that sometimes, sometimes... letting go of the need to be right is just a matter of changing perspective, right? And you also thought of a couple others. You want to talk about what you see there? That perspective episode, for sure. As, as I tend to do, I bring up the subject we're going to work on at some meetings. Interestingly, on the Saturday morning, we'll talk about later our, our 
our lives in recovery, but perspective was the topic, and that one touched on exactly this kind of stuff, you know, how I see things, how I choose to see things. Can I view a crisis as, uh, you know, for what it is, which is, a, you know, a, a difficulty, a challenge, instead of Armageddon. Mm-hmm. That's how I look at it. I, I choose to look at it more soberly these days, more with emotional sobriety and more, with more clarity, I guess. And, you know, first things first came to mind with respect to what's important, you know. Force versus power episode certainly came up when I was thinking about this. You know, do I have to force myself to be right, force you to believe that I'm right? You know, what's more powerful? To just not get into a complete dispute and go off the rails about, you know, the the pocket change being 42 or 44 cents. Is it Wednesday or Thursday? It really is not, and it's more powerful to be able to rise above that and say, this is not important, I'm just going to move on. Mm-hmm. So force versus power, and I'm sure there's others. Yeah. Yeah, in all our affairs. Everything overlaps. Yeah, so you want to uh, pull out some quotes for us? Uh, you know what? I didn't really like all the quotes that I went through. They're, in this case, I don't really find any that are really spot on, except the one, there's an old story that... I think I've referenced in another episode about a guy, a very well-known Indian chief named Chief Joseph. Mm. You know, when I was at a program for myself, which is for people that were kind of stuck, this was probably seven or eight years ago, a five-day, oh gosh, total immersion into, you know, trying to move your feet a couple inches in one direction or the other just to just get out, out of this place of feeling stuck and mired in confusion and uh, direction. Anyway, so the one of the therapists there had, uh, when I went and sat with her in her office once, had an image of a Indian, a young Indian guy up on the wall. And then another picture next to it of a, a much older, incredibly dignified looking, but, you know, craggy faced Indian chief, it looked like. And I said, why do you have those pictures? And she said, well, that's the same person. And his name is Chief Joseph. I mean, many people probably know this story, but he's a warrior and his uh, entire tribe, if you will, you know, was decimated by uh, American settlers. And his famous quote, just to make it simple, is that when he was exhausted, you know, and as I didn't print the whole thing, but the story goes that, you know, the blood of his children and, and the women is flowing through our rivers and fields are covered in death and destruction. And his famous quote is here. It says, hear me, my chiefs, I am tired. My heart is sick and sad from where the sun now stands. I will fight no more forever. You know, I now completely agree with that. I will fight no more forever. You know, it's, it's strangely enough put the cadence of that sentence that it's memorable for me. I, uh, I'm going to lay my weapons down, you know, against something that I clearly can't win. And I choose to walk away. And it's empowering, as opposed to when I used to feel it was a weak thing to walk away from a conflict. You know, I'm a big man. I can take it. I'm smart. I can. But against something that is is really of no importance and against something that is clearly not logical, mm-hmm. is it worth my serenity? And, you know, in this case, this is a much more poignant reference to death and destruction. But, you know, my situation felt like that. You know, it felt like death and destruction. My children were dysfunctional. One was cutting. And, I mean, my life was absolutely in chaos. Back then, I thought I could fight my way out of it. Now I know better. So, anyway, that was the one quote that I really thought might be worth mentioning. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. You sent me a couple of music suggestions. The first one by John Mayer is Heartbreak Warfare. Tell us why you chose that one. Oh, wow. You know, this one, um, I'm a John Mayer fan, and I, I cover I cover this song as well as a lot of his stuff. And this one, you know, when my wife was in one of her rehabs, I um, sent her a little whatever the small, tiny iPod thing is that has uh-huh. uh, a mini. And I put all these songs on it, and she basically 
gave it back to me and said, you know, all these songs you're just talking about me and making me feel worse. And this was one of them. And it's some of the words are clouds are sulfur in the air. Bombs are falling everywhere. It's heartbreak warfare. Once you want it to begin, no one really ever wins in heartbreak warfare. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's about basically the notion that everything explodes when I choose to, you know, add fuel to the fire. So I thought this was a good one. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our lives and in our meetings this week. How about you? I only went to last weekend. I didn't do any week during the week meetings this week because I had business to deal with. As I just mentioned yesterday, as the one I wrote some notes about was on perspective and perception and uh, touched on a lot of the things we shared about in our episode on perspective. I really liked going back and thinking about it again. The quote I wrote down, I don't know if it's relevant here, but it's from Shakespeare, and it was, I wrote it in my notebook about the meeting, and it's uh, from September 15th, and actually what I wrote about this reading was worry, which is another episode we did, but the quote, today's reminder uh, before the quote, my higher powers gifts sometimes take unusual forms. Perhaps something I regard as a problem is really a form of assistance. And the Shakespeare quote I love is, nothing is either good or bad. It's thinking that makes it so. Yeah, I wrote that one in here about that. And then uh, there was something, uh, I wrote this because it's just funny as hell. He said, you know, uh, many years ago I met my, my previous partner and I knew within weeks he was an alcoholic and I was out of there in 15 years. <laughs> in 15 years yeah oh yeah. Uh. yeah anyway so that was the morning meeting that's uh, a great meeting i wrote a bunch of little things in here that's interesting i don't see it that way look at things from a different angle alan enables me to stop pause think consider the view and choose a response detach say no set a boundary so that was the morning meeting yesterday and then the evening meeting was the men's group Surprise, surprise, I led on the topic of right versus happy, <laughs> as I'm one to do. Yeah, yeah, sure, get get ready for the discussion. Yeah, yep, and just heard some feedback. Our district rep attended. She uh, goes to, a, you know, try to visit all the meetings. And, you know, other than that, my daily readings and meditation and prayer. Uh, that was about it for this week. How about you? Oh, let's see. Yesterday, Saturday morning meeting, we talked about tradition one. Our common welfare should come first. Personal progress for the greatest number depends upon unity. I think, you know, actually that kind of resonates with with the topic to some extent because it's about sometimes we need to think about other people. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, the Al-Anon program is about helping ourselves, but that doesn't mean that we always put ourselves first. And and the reading in the book talks about a lot of things. It talks about, like, if we have a lot of stuff we want to say, maybe it's better to uh, talk to a sponsor or talk to an Ellen on friend rather than laying it all out there in a meeting and, and taking up time that maybe other people have things they need to share too. In this book, Paths to Recovery, there are personal sharings on, on each topic. I connected with one that uh, talked about actually sharing in a meeting. Tradition one gives me balance. On the one hand, it is not good for me to control or dominate my group. On the other hand, I do not need to become a shrinking violet and submerge my needs under everyone else's. And it talks about not taking up too much time, sharing uh, if there's a topic, uh, staying on the topic, focusing on recovery, all of those things that I learned to do sort of by example because the first meeting that I went to that became my home group for a number of years, many years, uh, until my schedule changed and I, I couldn't go regularly. I had really good examples of that kind of behavior in the meeting. People in the meeting focused on recovery. People in the meeting pretty much stayed on the topic, which was set by a person who did a lead, you know, a little 10 minute lead at the beginning of the meeting. And then we all shared something about that. Well, not all of us, because it's a big enough meeting that only a small fraction of the people can share, which means also 
It's important to keep your sharing short so that other people have a chance to share. I learned all this stuff sort of by osmosis. I, I then try to practice that for a number of reasons. And, you know, one is because it makes for a healthier meeting. And if I do the example, maybe other people will follow and maybe they won't, you know. But also because it, even if I've got something really pressing on my mind, if I can connect it to the recovery topic that we started the meeting with, I'm more likely to actually say something or think of something that moves my recovery forward. And I think that for me, that's the more important. And so even though part of the motivation is like, let's keep the meeting healthy. Let's keep the meeting, you know, focus on the unity of the meeting. It also is how I get recovery. So anyway, that was what I thought about on that topic yesterday morning. Thinking back over the week, step 10 is one of those steps that I can practice on an almost daily basis, right? Particularly at work this week, there were a number of opportunities to practice step 10 where I made a mistake and I still, you know, my first little inclination is just fix it. Don't, don't admit it, right? Just fix it. Don't admit it. And I know that's wrong. And so what I do is step 10. When I'm wrong, I promptly admit it. And it just keeps the air clear. You know, nobody comes back and says, you stupid idiot. Why did you do that? Right? <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Whereas if I tried to cover it up and then somebody found it out later, I would get some kickback on it, I'm sure, you know, from my boss, if nobody else. And so it just makes life easier. It really does. So I had scheduled last Sunday to record that episode with Kate C. When I called her, she was like, I have a really bad cold. And, you know, I could tell immediately. And so we rescheduled for Wednesday. And that's just sort of acceptance of reality, right? I didn't try to force it. Like, oh, no, we have to go ahead and do it now because this is my schedule. It's like, no, let's see what we can do. And on, on Wednesday, she was still in the tail of it. And I'm sure you can tell from her voice that, you know, she's not 100%. But we had a great discussion. And then, again, acceptance. We got into reading the letters and stuff. And, and we got to a point where I could, I could tell that, you know, she was done. <laughs> and I said, you're, you're running out of stamina here, aren't you? And she's like, yeah. I said, okay, well, we'll just stop. You know, I don't have to get through all this stuff. We'll just stop because that's what we need to do. How important is it, right? Yep. What's important is is to maintain the health and all that. So, yeah, using my program all over the place, even in my program. How about that? Very good. Okay, well, I don't know what the new topic is. A number of people have contacted me with topic ideas and, and with offers to help. And I've gotten back to a couple people and I need to get back to some more people. And we'll pick some of that up. Also, somebody sent me, and I haven't listened to it yet, but he sent me a link to a talk by Dr. Bob's son. Oh, wow. That if it's, if it's reasonable audio quality, I'll, I will post that one uh, at some point. You ever, uh, I know you probably have, but have you posted talks by uh, Father Tom? Tom? Oh, yeah, I've got a couple. I've, oh, my God. Those yeah, are I've, so entertaining. I've got uh, an Allen on one and an AA one. Yes. Yeah. And he, uh, he spoke at, uh, a convention that I was at a couple of years ago, and it's just oh. he's yeah he's great. He's seventy or something, and he still kills it. He kills it, and he reminds me of the guy who uh, who said, you know, when I met this guy, I knew he was an alcoholic within two weeks, and I was out of there in fifteen years. Yeah. That's exactly the kind of thing Tom W would say. Yep, it's fun. It just 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 brings the room down. But it's you know yeah, I, I love him. Um, I've yeah. heard heard a number of his talks, and I actually. At one point I had, I was listening to, and I don't, I don't know where I found it because I'm not finding it again, but he like did a whole weekend workshop. So there was like six sessions or something that uh, was just awesome. Anyway. Yeah. His, uh, I think his book is called, uh, do you know that he has a book out or maybe it's a audio series? I think it's a book and it's how to live surrounded by crazy people. I believe that's. Yeah, I've seen a reference to that. Yeah, I, I haven't actually – I should go find that. Yeah. So how do people who want to join the conversation, how do they uh, send us feedback, voicemail, email? Okay, you can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795.
1-800-273-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope on your questions about today's topic. Would you, would you rather be right or happy or any uh, of our upcoming topics? If you have a topic you'd like to talk about, let us know. Everything is at our website, therecovery.show. We have notes for each episode, links, music videos, typically to the music that we talk about, links to other recovery podcasts and websites. And I've been starting to put in the readings and links to websites that we talk about during the episode so that you can find the exact thing. You know, you had that reading about... Uh, would you rather be right or happy? What was that? Well, go look at therecovery.show slash 276, and you can find it right there. It will it will say, yeah, courage to change October 29th. And and then you can uh, go read it in, in your copy of Courage to Change. Okay, second song, You May Be Right by Billy Joel, which, man. <laughs> yeah. I You know, I, it's hard to not read the whole bloody thing. I, I mean, oh. I mean, almost everybody on the planet knows this song, right? Friday night, I crashed your party. Saturday, I said, I'm sorry. Sunday came and trashed me out again. I was only having fun, wasn't hurting anyone, and we all enjoyed the weekend for a change. I've been stranded in the combat zone. I walked through Bedford to die alone. Even rode my motorcycle in the rain, and you told me not to drive, but I made it home alive. So you said that only proves that I'm insane. (laughs) You may be right. I may be crazy. But it just may be a lunatic you're looking for. Turn out the light. Don't try to save me. You may be wrong for all I know. You may be right. And then I wrote in your margin, but you're not. <laughs> but you're- <laughs> I won't say that. Right. But, you know, I mean, a whole song. Holy moly. Oh, we all enjoyed the madness for a while. Yep. we got some emails. Rhonda's looking for some guidance. She writes, hello, Spencer. My name is Rhonda, and I think my husband of 21 years is an alcoholic, though he does not think so. I recently started attending an Al-Anon group because I read that list of questions and answered yes to many of them. I've started working through step one and have someone in the group that I can call. I'm constantly reading and looking for information to educate and encourage myself, yet still find more comfort in talking to strangers. Your podcasts have been insightful and encouraging to me. That's why I feel compelled to contact you. And the fact that your alcoholic is also your spouse, and as far as I understand, you are still together. Many, I know, have left their alcoholic spouses. I feel so hurt and confused. My husband used to drink as a teenager, but never touched it as long as I've known him until about five years ago. It's gotten progressively worse as he's also dealing with a diagnosis of mental illness. How do I do this every day? How did you do it? I think I've tried real hard, but he says he doesn't see the proof of any love and compassion and that I actually need to detach more and essentially let him drink. Like I said, I'm new to this with no prior experience with alcoholism, so any practical advice would be appreciated. Sincerely, Rhonda. And wow, I just got to say, Rhonda, like that so echoes a lot of my experience. In my case, you know, my wife did drink throughout, but for the first, I don't know, 15 years or something, it just seemed like normal. And then it got out of hand. And how did I stay? Well, I've talked about this before, and I think I'll look up the episode number where I uh, recorded a speaker talk that I gave that maybe goes into a little more detail about that. But basically, one day at a time, one hour at a time, weighing the which would hurt worse kind of question would it hurt worse to leave or would it hurt worse to stay? If I can't make up a, make a decision right now, I don't know which is right. Then can I just make it through today? I remember somebody in a meeting or maybe it was a reading saying, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you say, do I want to leave today? Well, no, I don't want to leave today. Okay, then don't. It took me a couple of years and I have talked about this, working the program really hard to get to a place where I saw her separately from her alcoholism and realized that I still loved her and that Al-Anon had given me the emotional strength and the support of a higher power, the support of a program to be able to stay without going crazy. 
And I know that not everybody's able to do that. You know, everybody's got a different answer. And that's, you know, we talk about we don't give advice in this program. And we don't give advice in this program because what worked for me may or may not work for you. All I can do is share what did work for me. One of the readings we might have read for today, but we didn't, uh, talks about alcoholics provoking conflict so that they don't have to look at their own problem. Let me see if I can just find this. Oh, it's June 3rd. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Exactly where it Right. Is. June 3rd. Here it is. Right. In order to keep family and friends from interfering with their drinking, alcoholics sometimes create diversions by accusing or provoking. Yeah. So June 3rd, encouraged to change, is entirely relevant to this question. Also, the, the book. The book. Okay. We got to recommend or suggest the, the dilemma of the alcoholic marriage. Oh, Yeah. Oh, my God. That one uh, just dropped me to my knees when I read it. Yep. Now, if you you get that book and you leave it sitting out, it will provoke. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) I remember I was reading the the booklet Living with Sobriety, and my wife was early in sobriety at that point. And she said, what, are you having some problems with me in sobriety? Or something like that. And I'm making up the tone of voice in the words, but it was that sort of accusatory, like, what, I got sober and I'm still not good? Something like that kind of feeling that I got from it, okay? And I don't know what she was feeling, and I don't, but that was the feeling I got. And yeah, Dilemma of the Alcoholic Marriage, uh, yeah. if you can find oh. it. I think that's an older one. I guess it's still available. Well, it's a, it's a bestseller at the men's group, I'll tell you that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, did I talk about my wife was depressed and was on medication for depression? And I was like, well, of course you're depressed. You're drinking a depressant all the time. But I think there there was something separate there because it's she still got a diagnosis of depression. She's still under treatment, but she's getting happier. She's getting less depressed. And I think sobriety has a lot to do with that. Hang in there until you can't, I think, is is the only thing I would say. And then when you can't, it's time to go. You want to read Ruth's note here? Sure. Hey, Spencer. I want to thank you so much for reading my letter on the podcast and responding last although it was such a long letter. I watched a new movie with my recovering alcoholic called A Beautiful Boy, which reminded me of how much I want to help him with things, but how I can't stop the inevitable or control if he'll relapse or not. Like you mentioned last as well, I think sort of that you can show up for your kids in the way you enable them to help themselves while not actually doing the job for them. I thought the movie really showed examples of how that can play out and so I really recommend it. Yeah. Have you read the, the books that that movie's based on, A Beautiful Boy and Tweak? No. So the father, I can't remember his name right off, the father wrote a book called A Beautiful Boy about his son's meth addiction, you know, his journey through his son's meth addiction, right? From denial to bargaining to anger to, you know, the whole stages of grief, effectively. Um, and then the son wrote the book Tweak about the same experience from his perspective. Wow. And there's a couple more books in the series. And I was not aware that they had been made into a movie until I read Ruth's letter, which I mentioned last week. The movie is on Amazon Prime, and I will put a link to it and to the two books, which they will tell you apart. If, if, you're, yeah. if you're involved with a loved one who's, you know, addicted in particularly an active addiction, but even not they're they're heart rippers, but there's a whole lot of truth in there, a whole lot of raw experience. Oh yeah. Uh, Jennifer writes about a topic. I'm interested in the topic of parenting an adult alcoholic and just me jumping in here and inevitably almost any teenage alcoholic uh, eventually morphs into an adult alcoholic uh, unless they, actually find long-term sobriety as a teenager, which does happen to some people, which is wonderful. The long journey to recovery from codependence and enabling thanks to Elanon. The pain of observing a gradual decline from having an adult child who is a productive, kind, funny, highly intelligent adult into homelessness. The concept of an addiction so strong that no help will be accepted. The inherited aspect of the disease. I've been active in Al-Anon for three plus years recently and for seven years in the 80s for children of alcoholics. My sponsor helped me to finally see that I could no longer take the emotional toll that a loving mother can tell her 45-year-old, quote, child, that he must be on his own. And that I have done. I'm now living a wonderful life, even though the underlying pain and worry is always there. I'm free of the obsession to do something. 
Are you interested in this as a topic? And I think she offered to participate. And yes, I am interested. I listen to you by podcast in my car. Wow, you've helped me so much, Jennifer. Thanks for that idea. I will refer you to, uh, there's an episode titled Parents Roundtable, and I forget the exact number. One of the guys on the on that roundtable, I think Fred, but I'm not 100% positive, at that time was almost exactly in that place where his son was in his 40s and still active in addiction, sometimes homeless, sometimes not, and had been since he was a, a teenager, actually. So while we're while we're preparing for, for this topic, you go back and listen to that one. And we had four people who were parents of alcoholics at various stages of their life. Listen to their experience, and that could be helpful. The episode enabling um, versus empowering it comes to mind here, not only with respect to Jennifer's email, but uh, this whole topic. You know, I forgot to mention that episode. You know, when I when I engage with a with an alcoholic or, or an addict, I mean, it's it's more empowering to walk away, and that is so contrary to the way I used to think. You know, yeah, so. yeah. Diana had a question. She's looking for an episode where I said something. She says. Uh, if I recall correctly, there was one where you talked about being in a work meeting and sticky notes were put up on a board and you had the courage to speak up about not liking one of them and several in the group then supported your thoughts. Does this sound familiar? Do you know which episode? <sighs> yeah, it sounds familiar. And no, I don't know which episode. So I'm kind of putting it out here because maybe one of you listening does, maybe you just heard that episode and you can say, oh yeah, that was episode, I don't know, 220 or whatever it was and and help Diana out because I have no idea. I, I just vaguely remember it. I don't even remember the details. V writes, Hi, Spencer. I started listening to the recovery show a few months ago when my life became unmanageable again. I started from the very beginning, so I'm still in episode 84. I have a lot of listening out of me. Your episode about codependency and later about manipulation, managing, mothering finally got me to go to a meeting. I tried a meeting once two years ago after escaping my marriage to my qualifier. I felt a need to leave, so I moved two states away, thinking that would help. I remember thinking how nice it was to hear people with similar issues and learning about a few tools. But as I left the meeting, I got a text from a qualifier saying our divorce was final. Obviously, I figured I was done. With my qualifier out of my life, my problem was solved, and I could be free. Fast forward two years and one short-lived relationship, I found myself in a deep realization of all my defects of character, some of which I've carried with me for decades but some were fine-tuned during my 10-year relationship with my qualifier. I'm now understanding that tendencies, thought process, and actions, reactions are deeply rooted issues and that distance and time won't make it better. I understand now that most of my life I've just wanted someone to love me and accept me as I've considered myself unlovable, which has always led me to emotionally unavailable people that, quote, I can help at any cost. After this last crisis and some therapy, I got myself to other fellowships. Last night at a meeting, the lead speaker shared that he started in Al-Anon and then found this other program. He said, Al-Anon is like going to a general practitioner when you have stage four cancer. It's okay, but you also need a specialist. So I'm back with my, quote, general practitioner and now look forward to the days I have fellowship meetings. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your guests and your willingness to be vulnerable and to share your strength with those of us still finding our way. I hope to catch up in 2019 episodes soon. Best wishes. I just think back to last week's episode with Kate, where she finally realized that these issues that had been with her since childhood were affecting her life. And, you know, V shares that same kind of experience. Like she was in a marriage, she got out of it, she thought she was done, but then she realized that, no, she still had ways of behaving and feelings that had been sort of installed, if you will, during that 10 years. And they were still there, even though the marriage was over. You know, I don't know why, but the episode, again, you mentioned other episodes that might kind of touch on this whole subject. And the one that comes to mind is freedom. The episode we did on freedom, I don't know why, I just, I just wrote it down when I was reading this. And it's kind of freedom from not getting snared into other people's issues and living my life. I don't know. That's, that's what came to mind. Let's see. Darlene writes about the last episode we did together, I think, 270, Do You Believe? Yeah. Thank you, Spencer and Eric, for this wonderful episode. I listened to it for a second time this morning on my way to work. 
With respect to the Albert Einstein quote in the last line, only a life lived for others is worth living. As a fellow codependent, I've decided for my purposes to change the word for to with for my peace of mind. And that way I'm living with others. As for miracles in my life, they happen every day. The day I found Al-Anon, the day I found your show, the day my granddaughter was born and watching the world unfold through her eyes, the miracle of a sunrise and a sunset. I'm choosing to see the everyday miracles in everything and to marvel at the coincidences, the moments of thinking of my daughter who lives across country and having the phone ring. Thank you, Spencer, for all your hard work and the challenges of a weekly podcast. You drive back and forth to work with me so often, I think of you as an old friend. Love and hugs, Darlene. Thank you, Eric, for uh, for that episode, for that idea. I, I really like doing that one. It has touched a lot of people. The, and the other, I don't know why I'm thinking as long as we're in, but the other thing she mentions in here, the other episode you and I did, and again, you know, touches, they all kind of interweave with each other, but the episode called Choices, I think you and I did, uh, that jumped up at me. Want to read Lindsay's note? Yeah, sure. Hi, Spencer. I'm a new listener to your show and new to Alanon. The first episode I listened to was episode 272, Peace in the Darkness. It was a little a miracle and exactly what I needed at the time. It gave me a new perspective on being home alone for the first time. I really like the song recommendations in the podcast, and I have one which seems relevant to someone new to Alanon. The song is Rule the World by Michael Kiwanuka. Thanks, Lindsay. Yeah, and and you know, I I think I've I've heard that song not recently, and just the title, like duh, yeah. <laughs> I want to rule the world because that's what I thought I had to do, right? And and Elanon taught me that is not my job. Thanks, Lindsay. And finally, Edith says thank you, Spencer, for the show. I discovered it last month after finally realizing this is what I need, and I'm working up the courage to attend my first meeting. Your stories, explanations, and discussions are very helpful and definitely speak to me. Thanks for that, Edith. And do go to that meeting. Uh, every time somebody says, I'm working up the courage to go to a first meeting, my response is, go! <laughs> go! I don't think you'll be sorry. I sure yeah. I sure wasn't. It took me, I don't know, five years to go to my first meeting. And then I was like, well, why didn't I do this sooner? It's just my experience. Yeah, I, I use the phrase with sponsees. If you're thinking about not going or going to a meeting, Go to a meeting. Exactly. Always go to a meeting. Yep. It's on your mind. You're being sent a sign. Go to the meeting. <laughs> it doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show. We do have expenses. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button where you can support us directly, just like Jennifer, Stephanie, Edith, Debbie, and Michelle did. And thank you again for your support. And the last song I picked this one, it just jumped out at me. I think it's kind of obvious given the topic is happy by Pharrell Williams. And I don't know if I need to say much about this. You can obviously, uh, as I mentioned before, listen to this at the recovery.show slash two seventy six. I'll have a YouTube video. It's just a happy song. What can I it's say? It's impossible not to get up and dance. <laughs> oh my God. It's just impossible. It, impossible. it is pretty much. Yes. And, and the, the chorus here, because I'm happy clap along. If you feel like a room without a roof, whatever that means. <laughs> blow the roof off. Yeah, okay. Because I'm happy. <laughs> Clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. And there's that line right there, okay? There it is. Um, because I'm happy. Clap along if you know what happiness is to you. Because I'm happy. Clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do. Hey, come on. Happiness is a choice. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.